some more about leftism and try to improvise where my script just kind of dead ends at the end so <laughs> what's up joe how you doing pretty good i've been playing a lot of sim city build it nice yeah. i've still been on a red dead redemption kick there's nothing uh, like yeah, killing neo-confederates awesome. right? yeah oh totally i i love the original but there's just so much better immersion the lack of yeah. first person was the hard part of the first one yeah, like for sure yeah i nothing like just sitting here being like yeah I oh can't. man you're a first person red dead guy you know i actually usually play in first person and then today i was playing and i did third person because i was hunting in bear country and first person getting attacked by a bear is hella scary <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's pretty intense yeah so so yeah, we are gonna talk some more about leftism today. Uh, are you ready to talk some more about all the leftist stuff that we have to cover? Trotskyists, what can be done to stop them? <laughs> you know, we're actually going to get to a section at some point that's like, this may be the title of this episode. So what is a tanky? <laughs> uh, I'm ready. All right. But but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Before we get to the difference of, or all the little differences and idiosyncrasies of leftism, we need to talk about some of the founders. So, Karl Marx, what a guy, huh? What do you think about yeah. Karl Marx? I think Karl was a genius ahead of his time. Um, also think Engels is underappreciated. Definitely. And I think what's important about Marx and Engels as much as what they wrote is their comradeship. Yes. I think that's a big reason that I've I feel personally that Engels is over overrated, not just because of the work or underrated. Not just because of the work he did editing Marx's stuff, but also the direct mutual support that he gave Marx so that Marx could right. focus on that shit. So hundred mm-hmm. percent. Yeah, let's talk about Car- oh Karl Marx. So, incidentally, Karl Marx and I uh, have the same first name. He just has the Germanic spelling. <laughs> um, and also, further, uh, that name, at least in English, means free man. Uh, so, that's pretty I cool. I didn't know that. Free man Marx. So, all right, Thanks. hopping right into it. Most people at least have a passing acquaintance with Big Daddy Carl. They know him (laughs) as a communist, and most people even know him as the progenitor of Marxism. 
Marx is considered one of the most influential philosophers to this day, and the Communist Manifesto and Capital are still seminal works of economic value to this very day. Along with him, editing his works and funding the writing, think Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, but with more beards and less bats, was Comrade <laughs> Frederick Engels from EncyclopediaBritannica.com. Quote, in 1844, he published The Condition of the Working Class in England with Karl Marx, whom he met in Cologne. He formed a permanent partnership to promote the socialist movement. After persuading the Second Communist Congress to adopt their views, the two men were authorized to draft the Communist Manifesto, published in 1848. After Marx's death in 1883, <clears throat> Engels served as the foremost authority on Marx and Marxism. Aside from his own books, he completed volumes 2 and 3 of Das Kapital on the basis of Marx's uncompleted manuscripts and rough notes. End quote. So, yeah. You got anything you want to add about Mr. Ingalls and Big Daddy Marx? Um, two things. I think the most important contribution Marx made was turning socialism from a utopian ideal into yes. a scientific and materialist one. Yes. And... You can see that kind of evolution throughout his writing. Like, there's a, some of his best writings, in my opinion, are some of the early ones, and they're not even complete. We don't have the whole ones just because they got lost in the shelf or whatever. But, like, his early work on historical materialism, as, like his, as somebody who got a history degree myself, it's important to know that, like, Marx didn't just have impacts on, like, political theory or, you know, socialist thought. It's also, like, how historians and academics do stuff and it's just so broad read journalism too he was a journalist yeah um, he, he was very influential so, and more than just economics yeah he was just like kind of like a modern like a renaissance man scientist kind of guy yeah and then Engels, um he wrote probably the best marxist work um of all of them on the uh history the history of the English working class and family. He wrote a lot of good stuff on like the capitalist version of uh, the dynamic family, origins of the family, origins of the family, private property of the state, mm -hmm. which is probably my favorite Marxist old school writing. Right. Well, I personally have only read Capital. I've read excerpts yep. of the Communist Manifesto, but I. I don't know. I'm very much a more praxis over theory. And also, I kind of feel, and don't get me wrong, these are seminal important works, but I kind of feel like all the communist and anarchist theory stuff that was written as these thought processes were starting to evolve, uh, they are important for a base of grounding, but also I feel like reading some modern-day political philosophers do a pretty good job of summarizing mm -hmm. those and then applying that to the modern day like david graver yeah. awesome or reading like fucking uh huey newton and fred hampton like they right. knew their yeah. fucking theory theory so well i think the fundamental thing that what drove marx to write his stuff is the same stuff that modern day writers write about which is his biggest contribution wasn't like the equations and analyzing how capital works so much as it was like him how he described alienation and yes. how he described and how he just wanted like a free society and people to have freedom to do the stuff that they love to do you yeah. know what i mean 
Yeah, which is and so that's funny. at the core of all of this. Yeah, and I just I find it so amusing that after eighty years of the Cold War or whatever, that we have as a society in America so heavily associated communism with authoritarianism and you know mm-hmm. the lack of freedoms and such when it's like no these thought processes are for a freedom just a different type of freedom than what your stereotypical conservative or red scare motherfucker thinks right so oh and for the record i'm gonna butcher some names because there are a lot of names of theory people that i've read bits and pieces of that i've literally never had to speak so feel free to correct me if i fuck some shit up here luckily marx and engels is hella easy so yeah all right moving on so then we got a guy named peter kropotkin ah kropotkin yeah kropotkin there we go kropotkin who is definitely not a state communist, from scientificamerican.com, an excerpt from The Prince of or the Prince of Evolution, Peter Kropotkin's Adventures in Science and Politics by Lee Allen Dugaton. God, his name's as hard to say as Kropotkin. It's Dugatkin. Anyway. are Russian. Right. Uh, at least it's not Italian. <laughs> All right, quote, Kropotkin was one of the world's first international celebrities. In England, he was known primarily as a brilliant scientist, but Kropotkin's fame in continental Europe centered more on his role as a founder and vocal proponent of anarchism. In the United States, he pursued both passions. Tens of thousands of people followed ex-Prince Peter, and that is how he is often billed during two speaking tours in America. Kropotkin's path to fame was unexpected and labyrinthian, with asides in prison, breathtaking 50,000-mile journeys through the wastelands of Siberia, and banishment for one reason or another from most respectable Western countries of the day. In his homeland of Russia, Peter went from being Tsar Alexander's favorite teenage page to a young man enamored with the theory of evolution to a convicted felon jailbreaker and general agitator eventually being chased halfway around the world by the russian secret police for his radical some might say and did enlightened political views end quote so first off my my primary thought about kropotkin is netflix give us a fucking series like, I mean, yeah. that if he that was a pretty crazy life. Yeah, if I worked in Netflix development and somebody came to me with a script that said, <clears throat> yo, he went from a young man enamored with the theory of evolution to a convicted felon, jailbreaker, and general agitator eventually being like, I would be like, fuck yeah, you're greenlit for at least a pilot, at least, you know, five episode run. And while we're at it, can we also get a, since I've got your ear, Netflix, can we also get a Robert Smalls series? Cause, don't know that. Oh, you don't? Robert no. Smalls? Oh my god. So Robert Smalls. Robert e. Lee? No, he was he was a slave in America oh, yes. that escaped <laughs> and then like became like a writer and a, a a political agitator and he joined the Union Army and he like led raids against the South like a, oh, in a gorilla thing. I don't even remember it all, but it's another one of kind of like Kropotkin where it's like, this dude did everything. Kropotkin yeah. is like Forrest Gump in, you know, late 
or, or when the hell was he alive? I don't even fucking remember. I read it. There we go. Mid 18. No, that's all Marx. But yeah, Kropotkin was like Forrest Gump of his time, and so was Robert Smalls. Like I'm just everywhere. Yeah, as far as anarchists go, I like Kropotkin, just like purely because of his contributions and like he wrote Mutual Aid. Yeah. Uh, Conquest of Bread. Like he's uh, he was very good at writing like for the masses and critiquing capitalism. Well, and that's again like we were talking in the last episode about the DSA, like that is such an important to be able to communicate to the people you're trying to get through to, to radicalize them. We're not, you know, if we don't have people getting radicalized then we don't have any type of, of revolution, a proletarian revolution requires everybody and we need people to act as ambassadors for the brand. And I, I try to think of myself like that. I mean, I've, I've been trying to be that way for years where it's like, yeah, I mean, particularly when I was a commercial carpenter and people that I did feel comfortable with revealing that, you know, they, they'd get their minds blown when I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm a communist anarchist. And they're mm-hmm. like, what? You know, cause they're all right wing, but they respected me. So I was able to explain particularly how leftism ties into unions and union history and get get to the point where they at least respected me even if they didn't agree with me but that's the first step on the path is just getting people open to hearing new ideas and Kropotkin was good at that yeah yeah I think Kropotkin was go for it we've got time to kill man I've only got like a page and a half left in this so yeah more than anything like uh kind of a played a lot of like kind of like how Einstein did thought experiments mm-hmm. I think Kropotkin was very like theory oriented and like advocated against any kind of transitory period right which yeah. like goes against my beliefs but that's not to say I don't think there was like a lot of good things that he, he dwelled into I mean it kind of contrasts with like my Leninism you know mm-hmm. because I, I do think Lenin was the way to do it in yeah. a lot of ways, like the way he did it. Well, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't have anything more on that. Oh, no. it's. I was just going to say, let me read this next paragraph because I guarantee you're going to have things to say about it. So, <clears throat> so to me, those are kind of some of the main ones, main founders of Western leftist philosophy. You know, like the church, we were joking about it, branches out, and it gets more precise the further you go. But... There's many others, but honestly, of all the episodes that I've done, the ones that talk about leftism so far have not been the most popular. So we're just going to go with those instead of getting really into the weeds. We're not going to talk about the founders of, say, anarcho-syndicalism or Stalinism or Leninism, for example. That's a little beyond my... Stalinism is not a thing. Well, okay, well, hold on. That's a little beyond my scope here, but Joe, anyone you want to throw in, any backing in, any Mao? This episode needs a Chinese communist reference right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think you can talk about leftism in history without talking about Lenin. Like, yeah. it's just, it, or for that matter, Lenin, Trotsky, and Stalin. Like, not to say you need to spend a whole ass fucking 20 minutes on Oh, it, oh, oh that's the thing. I didn't write about them because I knew you were going to be my guest. This is why you're yeah. on. You tell us. It's important to know, like, the political and historical situation like i don't know if it was the last episode or early this episode we talked about how 
the need for violent revolution versus like peaceful revolution, mm-hmm. right? And I think like in America, we were heading towards that stage that the so that Russia was in in 1917. Yeah, in that you're talking about world war, food shortages, mm-hmm. all that stuff, right? Yep. Like an oppressive regime, income inequality, infrastructure and, breaking down, a great global catastrophe looming over us. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like uh, acknowledging mainly Lenin's contributions to shaping, I mean, because when you think about it, a lot of leftism across the globe, and we can get very Eurocentric and white centric when we talk about this, but was exported from the Soviet Union. That's just the facts of the matter, Mm -hmm. right? Like practicing states today, leftist states, Cuba, Vietnam, China, whatever, like those places probably do not exist without like a Lenin, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's easy for us to be like, oh, these people aren't important because it was a hundred years ago or whatever, but that's not necessarily true because of like the stuff that they did, it leads to like, and say what you want about China or Vietnam or Cuba and call, you can call them authoritarian states, but like they are in many ways, shapes and forms much more, uh, capable of uh implementing marxist policy in their societies than we are i would also argue that they're most much more capable in at least a few ways than we are like cuban doctors versus american healthcare. yeah so i think like uh if we're talking about the state I, i mean you as an anarchist like I think every anarchist, even if they don't agree with Lenin, you have to read State and Revolution. Like, yeah. You just cannot not read it. It's it's probably the most important thing written about the state in, in a communist lens, and that is that includes Marx. You yeah. know. Yeah. Well, so, um, which you know, he he lays out in a very short manner, like the role that the police play in a mm-hmm. capitalist state, and then of course he talks after that. He writes what needs to be done which is any organizer should read that because that is a good guideline for how to actually start organizing, you know? And Lenin, like, when you live in a oppressive society like the Tsarist society, I mean, like, his brother, like, was executed by the Tsarist regime. Like, you're talking about pissed off people, you know? Yeah, totally. I don't know. He was just a force of nature, I guess. But it's important to also know that, like, these characters shouldn't just be totally revered. Like, it takes... It took collaboration of like the soviets and like this was like true workers democracy you know at least initially totally so now uh let's see yeah so now we are you know what we're gonna talk about what the things that we love because it's time for ads so what do you want (laughs) to plug in this episode my segue (laughs) thank you i'm getting better (laughs) Yeah, that was good. Plugs? Any plugs? Oh, plug. Yeah. Um, let me think of something else that I didn't do last step. Uh, uh, no, just the local elections are coming up April 4th. Look out for a voter guide from Casey Tennant's. Cool. Um, well, that's it. You just, I guess I will be releasing two episodes this week so that I get this out before the elections. <laughs> <laughs> we should yeah, have done this yeah, on yeah. Saturday. <laughs> yeah. 
you can early vote too in Missouri if you live there. So. Yeah, there we go. Which is, yeah, go vote. This is a local election. If you listen to my episodes on voting, you know I feel the local elections are very important. So, yeah. and speaking of Kansas City, I'm going to plug barbecue. It's been yeah, a good year and a half since somebody plugged barbecue on my show. So, yeah, <laughs> RJ's barbecue. It's the shits. Rosedale's pretty plug, good, too. Come out here I'll to Lawrence. Spring. We got Biggs. Yeah. You yeah, bar- in tandem with barbecue, I'll plug spring as a season. Yes, yes. Okay. This episode is <laughs> brought to you by Voting in Your Elections, Barbecue, and the Season of Spring, as well as these <laughs> fine sponsors. We'll be right back, but first, here's some ads. Hey, y'all. Capitalism sucks, but Benavie Farms and Nursery is part of my community. Benavie Farms and Nursery is Kansas City's local sustainable nursery whose main focus is saving our little buzzing comrades, the bees. Bees are a primary pollinator for the world's food supply, and their species are declining at a rapid pace due to destruction of their native habitats. Benavie Farms and Nursery realize the importance of not only growing your own food, but also saving the bees. At Benavie Farms, they specialize in perennials, pollinators, and produce, so you can support a community initiative, plant a garden, and save the bees all at the same time. We talk a lot about food security on my show, and the first step is growing your own food for yourself and your community, and you can do that while saving our pollinators. The staff at Benavie Farms are knowledgeable, friendly, helpful, and inclusive, and can't wait to help you start or expand your garden this spring. To learn more about a sustainable no-till urban farm, go to benaviefarms.com or find Benavie Farms on Facebook. I just got my hours cut again? How can I pay my bills? Yeah, it sucks, especially since they only pay us minimum wage. But what can we do? Solidarity Man. That's right, fellow workers. It is I, Solidarity Man, champion of the working class, and it sounds like you need a union. A union? That's right. What power on earth is weaker than the feeble strength of one? So, a union makes us strong? That's right. Alone, you can do little to change your situation, but together, you can move mountains, and the industrial workers of the world are here to help. Huh? The IWW is a union for all workers, no matter the trade, job, or career, and we want to organize your workplace. Wow. Where can we find the IWW? In your hometown. The IWW has branches all over the world. Check out IWW.org to find your local membership board or join as an at-large member and start your own chapter. After all, our greatest superpower is working together. I must go. I hear another exploited worker calling for help. But remember, the working class and the employing class have nothing in common. Away! Deep in the swamps of Florida. Honey, is that a new plant? He dwells, waiting. Where did those seeds come from, honey? Silently. Oh my god, what is that thing? Sending seeds and stickers across the country. Ah! And spreading solidarity. Have you lost your mind, honey? We can't move to a sustainable commune in upstate New York. What's wrong with you lately? There's no stopping him. The mighty skunk ape is on Facebook and he's on a mission. Anarchy! No! Coming to a post office box near you, the Skunk Ape Liberation Union.
and I did not forget to hit the record button this time, so we should be able to do this in one take. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. So, yeah, we're back. We're talking about leftism. We just discussed some of the influential thinkers of leftism, and now we're going to talk about <clears throat> why we have groups called Veterans of Leftist Infighting. <laughs> <laughs> you ready to talk about leftist infighting? Uh, I'm there. <laughs> right. I All call right. it leftist discourse. Exactly. I mean, this is what we spend half our time talking about anyway. So, so let's talk about how these influential thinkers led to a part of the leftist infighting we see endemic to radical political left political movements. Then we'll talk about how the state also increased discord among leftists. So. First off, we all dream of utopia, but we drastically differ in our methods and means to get there. As we talked about earlier, the presence and complicity of a state is one thing that divides the left. Since a state is just organized violence at its core, anarchists have issues with establishing or endorsing the concept. Communists believe a strong state is necessary for the security of the proletariat. We can see how this philosophical divide might cause an issue or two. It's kind of a key issue. It's kind of like the difference between, you know, uh, Christians and Jews both understand that the Old Testament is real, but they really have a big problem when it comes to theologic law, when it comes to whether or not Jesus was divine. So, uh, yeah, a big enough thing to kind of cause a splinter. Um, so, so, yeah. Then there's also... I think, honestly, more importantly, a very long history in Europe of anarchists killing communists and communists killing anarchists during the many upheavals of the late 19th and early 20th century. There's more than just a philosophical divide. For years, there was straight enmity. The only thing socialists, communists, anarchists, and liberals agreed on, generally, was to bash the fash and smash some ass. Outside of that, not much. Yeah, I figured you'd appreciate that line. <laughs> That's uh, occasionally I write podcast lines in my podcast script that I'm like, that is some pro podcaster line right there. <laughs> so the distrust runs deep in this community. And well, before I get into the, the next step, so anything you want to add about the history of left, leftist infighting or the theory of leftist infighting? I guess I would say... Yeah, just like you said, there's very real examples. Like, this all didn't just come from nowhere. Mm-hmm. Like, you look at the Spanish Civil War, right? Yeah. You had the uh, everybody was fighting the fash, but then the anarchists and, the and you know, the Soviets, the communists kind of turned on each other. Yeah, which allowed Franco and fascists to win the revolution and take over the country. Right. Uh, as far as the theory goes... Um, I'm not super well versed in like late 18th century. I don't know if there was a, a very large divide at that point. I know that in certain areas, more factions had more power and mm. they might wield that in an unfair way towards another faction. Like, for example, in, in the United States, there was a pretty significant communist movement in the late 1800s and early 1900s, but anarchism was definitely more yeah. of a factor here. Yeah. So. I think I also think it's important to know that like a lot of these crafted narratives about leftist infighting 
is in the vacuum of any sort of like state like sponsored or cotton workers uh institutional kind of like media you know what i mean yeah so there's more room for discourse which leads to more infighting Mm -hmm. yeah and that's when we get into questions of how do you prevent infighting and how much of an on-hands approach do you take and i think that's where a lot of people like start talking about authoritarianism yeah yeah and then it's compounded by the fact that the the distrust runs deep in the community because of the efforts of the established state to sow further problems i'm sure by Mm -hmm. now we all know about cointelpro how the fbi infiltrated numerous groups during the 50s and up to this day and how they utilize deception rumors and personal conflict to fragment any potential for a unified left and if someone started to do exactly that, they straight up murdered them. Respect to well, comrade. This is where you get into my my disagreements with anarchists because anarchists were specifically targeted for uh, CIA by the CIA mm-hmm. for CIA run operations. Mm-hmm. Whether that was due to lack of organizational hierarchy or whatever, I don't know. Yeah, but I, I know that I don't necessarily have beef with anarchist principles, but I definitely have beef with the way that they run things because <laughs> it's very susceptible to like yeah. intervention by the feds. That that is very true, um, and it's funny—not haha funny, but kind of sad funny—that you know security is such a big, big issue on the left because of things we're talking about, but because of just the structures of anarchism there's no real like double check there's no checks and balances it's just like it's real easy for a cop to just be like what's up fellow anarchists <laughs> yeah yeah so how do you do fellow anarchists there it Let's is yeah it <laughs> yeah you you went where i was going so yeah due to these efforts the left has a bad case of delusional paranoia Yes, the police are pulling the same shit, but as often as not, allegations of someone being a cop are slander rather than truth. As it's important to keep our organizing secure, we need this level of distrust, but at the same time, our own distrust does the work of the police for them. It's a fine line to walk, and we as a community are wobbling like we're drunk. So basically, I've there is only one activist that I have worked with that I have cop jacketed in public and i'm not going to do it here but there there's one person who i firmly believe is working with some law enforcement organization and really? i'm not the first one to lobby that but put him on blast dog no i i can't that's that that would be a whole episode <laughs> if i was gonna put him on blast. Show up and... let me put it this way the people that work within that same sphere know how i feel so yeah then that's the person the person I'm talking about is very dedicated to what she does and so as long as the people are you know who work with her know which they do um but there's a lot of a lot of cop jacketing done by people just because of interpersonal problems or differences in how to run things and you get into kind of like how some leftists believe that voting is altogether bad and endorsing the state, like which we're not going to get into right now, but kind of in that same vein, they, you know, it's all about disruption and cup jacketing somebody who it basically builds the distrust. And it's a reasonable distrust because of history and facts, 
but also like I don't know I don't know where I'm going with this including in the script except you know be secure you know do your due diligence don't call anybody you get mad at a cop because I've seen that frequently yeah and another one is if you sometimes if you critique communism in any type of way you're a fash if you critique yes uh or you're or if you're like a purist to like a crazy extent you're labeled a tanky right like i don't know if those labels serve to help us really right well speaking of that's actually a perfect segue into where i was going next so to wrap up leftist inviting a fractured left can't get much of anything done on a large scale everything needs to be locally based for a while and that's a good thing like we were just talking about but without a broad coalition of people left to center we're never going to be able to enact efficient change and fight things that are that are facing us including how we're going to mitigate climate change so yeah yeah that's leftist infighting. And now we're going to talk a little bit about some basic leftist terms. Again, I think most of my lef- listeners are probably pretty familiar with this, but new Trotsky listeners... Trotsky um, Yeah, uh, <laughs> right? God, and you didn't even yeah. shout out Trotsky when I was asking you about influential thinkers. <laughs> not worth it. <laughs> you want to talk about... I like... Trotsky up to a certain age was pretty cool, but turns out he was just a sellout. <laughs> uh, you say that, and I just start hearing the horns from Real Big Fish sellout. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually yeah. the song that I was testing the phone input right before I called you. It just happened to be what my finger landed on. <laughs> I wish it wasn't copyrighted. I do. I do it as the outro. <laughs> Nice. So, all right. So, yeah, let's talk some common leftist terms. Um, and I'm just going to throw them at you and you you give me your definition. And if I feel like I got anything I need to add, then go for it. So, okay. all right. First off, uh, what are the means of production? Uh, means of production are the the facilities, I would say, and the materials needed to produce goods or commodities. So your machines, your factories, uh, your technology, raw materials, things like that. Well, and I, I would take it even further because like to me, roads, you know, civic services are part of the means of production. Sure. Because factories can't work without power. Yeah. Infrastructure for sure. Yeah. And it's kind of ironic because for me as a leftist, that because I am in the trade that I am and I own my own tools, I own a small degree of the means of production. But this is where it's important to delineate. Like, yeah, I own enough tools for me to do my work, but, and that's okay. That's ethically fine. It's when I start, you know, owning all the tools and then hiring other people to use my tools. And the only thing I'm contributing is my tools and my name as part of the company. You know, that's where we run into problems. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're just somebody, I I see a lot of confusion with this. Like what, what, what is a working class and what is like a bourgeoisie? And 
that's the way I always try to put it in the most simplest terms is like if you don't rent out property to anybody mm-hmm. or make somebody exchange wages for their labor and profit off of that, like you're working class. Yeah. Yeah. Simple as. Well, the one thing I would add, or if you're part of the police state that enforces those norms, um, you are working class, but you are what I would call a class trader because you actively work against the desires and needs of your class. So Yeah, if you want to get specific, like I think Lennon goes into that, and you could argue that they're a whole separate class of their own. Yes, and I personally, that's kind of where I fall because they're not the not the owner class, but they're also not working class. So, and it's yeah. funny because it's not even middle class. They're like off in left field being their own bastard class. Yeah, it's not even petty bourgeoisie. It's it's definitely got its own institutional framework. Yeah, totally. So what is, you actually, well, one of us mentioned it. So what's a tanky? Uh, as far as I know, it's a pejorative term for leftists, uh, mainly people who supported Stalin and the USSR after Lenin died. Yeah. And Stalin took over. Yes. And I think it's associated with like authoritarian tendencies, state-run media, violence to squash rebellions, things like that. And I believe, if I remember correctly, the term tanky comes straight from the violence to squash rebellion when, like, Ukraine or something. Czech Republic, I think it was. Oh, damn, I should learn more about that. I'm an eighth Czech. I should probably Uh, know that. I think it was the Prague uprising. Okay. But I know the term didn't come up until, I think it was, like, England in the 80s or 70s. Oh, yeah. New term, but old history. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and it's become kind of like a, a catch-all for any time, kind of like we were just talking about how anytime you disagree with somebody's methods, they're a fascist. Um, tanky is another one of those words, depending on the yeah. political philosophy of, you know, the person saying it. But it's another word that's thrown around enough that it doesn't really have much meaning. So yeah. on that subject, uh, what, how would you describe a reactionary? A reactionary... I would say just anybody who opposes like uh, any sort of socialist ideology, reform, or revolutionary ideas. Like, um, yeah, that's pretty usually bourgeoisie, right? But it can be like a a liberal or working class person as well. Yes, and... The one thing that I would add is the further left you go on the political spectrum, you're going to see a leftist on the right of you, right? right? So it's really easy to, you know, like me as an anarchist, I'm pretty toward the end of the spectrum. It's really easy from my vantage point to look at, like, the DSA and be like, you guys are reactionary. You're splitting the left, except as we discussed in the previous episode. I believe it takes all kinds, but again, that's why that political spectrum is so important. It's the old saying that when people tell me not to talk shit on Democrats, I'm like, I'm just punching right. Tell them not to stand there. Yeah, I would say, like, to add to that, like, anybody who rejects uh, 
favorable conditions for work class in favor of like empowering the status quo. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's good. So the last two I've got on here and then the script is tapering off. So uh, we may bullshit for a minute. I may just say, fuck you time for plugs. I don't know. But first, so a word I use on this show quite often is praxis. And we know what that means, but to the, assume you're explaining what praxis is to the average layman. Who, me or you? You. Okay. I mean, probably the most important term to know. Yeah. Uh, praxis is just putting theory into into action, right? Yeah, totally. Realizing it, realizing your ideology. Mm-hmm. Uh, that can mean like engaging with others. It can mean organizing. It yep. can mean just really anything that, um, yeah. Yeah, totally. And that's basically like... In its own way, this show is a form of praxis. This is, you know, I'm helping. I know for a fact that this show has helped connect some people and help some organizations out, and that's a way that I can offer support to other modes of direct action, whether that's running commercials for my friends with Urban Farms or speaking out about things like the tenant right group takeover, help those homies out. So... But Praxis, we we talked a bit about this in one of the early episodes and discussed the difference between nonviolent Praxis and violent Praxis because it's all, you know, it's all under the same umbrella. Just like all animals are animals, but not all all fish are deer or whatever, you know. It's different. Well, I I got one more thing to add. Yeah, go ahead. So, like, I think it's... Specific, specifically praxis like applies through a working class lens and we talked about like historical materialism and like dialectics and like how oh, like there's a very Christian like liberal notion of like absolute truth right and Marx mm-hmm. wrote about this a lot and that like things just are the way they are uh-huh. and it's like a fundamental part of Marxism is like if you're not you talked about it earlier if you're not putting things into practice in a practical sense, yeah, then things aren't going to change for the better. You yes, know? and I think that's so succinctly summed up in that Fred Hampton quote where, theor- pra- yeah, theory's cool, but theory without practice isn't shit. And yeah. very much, God, I wish they hadn't murdered that man. Think about how much further we would have been. Well, he was so young. He was. He had such a life, and he was already so good at it. Like, if he had been allowed to live, well, I mean, clearly that's why he was not allowed to live. If you haven't seen uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, I highly recommend that movie. It was was a good movie. It was a fire movie. Yeah, totally. So, yeah, we are uh, at the end of the script, which is really, I'm I'm just... Wait, we got one more term. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Theory. Yeah. What's theory? Oh, theory. Um, what is theory? Like, how would you sum that up in specific to leftism? Uh, I would say Marxist theory um, is analysis of struggle between the working class and the bourgeoisie. Yeah, 
or capitalist. That works for me. It's the fundamental dynamic between the two. Yeah, totally. And I didn't have this on my list, but you mentioned it, and I know what it means, but in case our listeners don't, uh, dialectical or dialectics. Dialectic. I still don't understand it, and I've read the definition, and I've watched so, so many videos on it. Um, yeah. Give it a why shot. Why don't you take that one? Oh, no, I want I you guess to give it a shot. What? I want you to give it a shot, so if you get it wrong, hopefully people will engage with the podcast page, you know? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a yeah. honeypot. <laughs> uh, I mean, from from the it's basically investigating or discussing the practical and actual truth of opinions is is what I yeah got get out of it. Well, and I always like particularly when I applied to it to like philosophical thinking. It's kind of like and not quite as deep a a broad concept as you explain it, but more like just the thought that people's material conditions affect their way to process and form opinions. So, That's a much better way of putting it, I think. Yeah, so that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, about how when we help people meet their material needs, then they have more time and spoons and dedication, ability to dedicate their mental power to what is theory okay, how do I apply that theory into praxis, you know? Yeah. So, oh, I did, I can't believe we skipped that, probably because I need to do a whole episode on it, and I need to get old Amy and Amanda for it, but uh, <laughs> besides being a conservative boogeyman, what is Antifa? Antifa? Yeah. Um, Anti-fascist, uh, they're, the, they're the guys in the black hoods who show up at the parades. Yes, to beat up Nazis. <laughs> That's exactly. Oh, oh, wait, and and to loot everything, like. Yeah. Wait, hold on. Did Fox News suddenly give me a contract? Like, am I on the Alex Jones network now? <laughs> okay, so obviously they're an anarchist org, right? What? But like, <clears throat> is there any sort of organizational, like, nonprofit or like, is it all mutual aid based? Like, how? You know, who labels themselves Antifa? I, I've only met, like, two people oh, who are Antifa. Like, that's, it's, I label myself Antifa, and, like, that's what I love about it is because given not only its historical roots, but the fact that it is a coalition of liberals, communists, anarchists, whatever variety of leftists, hell, there's even some centrist in there. Like, Antifa is, so I think of it, has one of those like mid 90s training commercials where like you yeah. know you'd have to sit down and and watch if you got a job and um i mean i guess for me it'd be mid 2000s but you'd sit down and and watch 15 minute video about safety protocol and everything and at the beginning there'd be like split shots of various people in the roles and they all offer a big smile and they're like i'm mcdonald's and the next guy's like I'm McDonald's, you know, it's the same thing. It's like, I'm Antifa, <laughs> you know? You know, I think Antifa is like a, I don't know. I think it's kind of a clown thing, to be honest, but I recognize its value in that it exists within a vacuum of any, like, leftist, like, professional vanguard that can fight against. Yeah right you know like fascism and i think they serve a very important role because it is kind of like how in uh 
native societies, like uh, pre-colonization indigenous societies. I read that book yeah. about Comanches. Um, it's a lot of the warrior societies weren't tribe specific because they wanted it to help um, facilitate intermarriage and commerce. And so yeah. it was almost like a union between, you know, across the way. And so I kind of see Antifa kind of like that, where it's like, that's a good point where we can all agree. And I've made a lot of good, <clears throat> a lot of good contacts at Antifa stuff. And yeah. I don't care what their political philosophy is. And they may not have come to any event I did as XYZ, but they're out there to punch Nazis. So at least we're together. Right. And yeah. Talking at least about you know it. they're there. Yeah, exactly. There's other people who are willing to fucking, if they're trying to start roundup Mexicans or something. Exactly. There to fight them. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you, you know me in real life. I'm a short dude. Like, I need some big motherfuckers around me if I'm gonna go fight some alt right people. Yeah, I'll plug to SRA too. I Hell just yeah! Joined up. <coughs> SRA and John Brown Gun Club, which I do not know if we have. I don't believe here we, have we got one here. more term we gotta do. By the way, oh what? Um, uh, Trotskyist <laughs> scum. <laughs> Just take What's a vacation in Mexico. <laughs> ice picking the fuck. I was going to say, I hear they've got pretty good ice picks down there. <laughs> uh, almost my favorite, well, one of my favorite methods of assassinating an important person, although my personal favorite is hanging Mussolini upside down. You can't get better than that. Oh, you that's know. a classic. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody walks by and they're like, why so down, Mussolini? <laughs> Just hanging out? <laughs> His whole world got turned upside down. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking Mussolini. <laughs> yeah, father of fascism. <laughs> so, all right. Well, um, we are at way past where, well, not past, right about actually where we need to be for a whole episode. So this is the episode. And I forgot I didn't off the pipe in my plugs at the end of the <laughs> last episode so yeah um anything you want to add or plug before we get the fuck out of here i'll plug i'll plug food i'm i'm hungry and i like food i agree with that 100 percent. and also uh they don't help with food but they help with housing check out kctenants.org if you're in the Kansas City area, because Joe works with oh, them yeah, and they need some help doing some childcare shit. I don't know. I'm just paraphrasing what you said in the last episode. No, yeah. Please, if anybody knows any childcare resources from like a Marxist line, please send them to me because it is a Word. lot harder to get hands on that than I thought it would be. I thought it would be easy peasy, but it is. You, you know why? It's probably a pain in the ass research. because I have to remind you to give contact info. Where can people send you the shit? Uh, uh, send it to my email, jdmgf5 at gmail.com. Again, jdmgf5 at gmail.com. Zoned out. Yeah, I will have, um, I will go ahead and put that email in the episode <laughs> description so you can copy and paste. I just wanted to put Joe on the spot because he's still learning how to do a good plug. He's getting a lot better, though. <laughs> I think my first plug, I was just like, uh, uh, Yeah, you're, uh, most people are. I, I had my buddy Pancake on for the last Union episode, and I get to the plug part, and they're just like, I, 
I don't know. And for him, it was particularly difficult because normally when given the opportunity to plug anything, he plugs his business union. But half the episode is why business unions suck. (laughs) So he's like, you know, that might, that might've been the moment for me to realize, like I needed to engage in some praxis. Exactly. I thought I was like, wait, what am I doing? With right. <laughs> oh, shit, I need to go do stuff so that I can have plugs. Well, my my podcast. plug, besides all the shit I'm about to say, yeah. is epiphanies. It's great when we have epiphanies about ourselves, about our society, about everything going on. And what will help you do uh, have these epiphanies are these nifty things called drugs. Wait, no, I shouldn't probably go there. Um, so you can find me. It is my birthday. Tell them to mail me. <laughs> if I had a company post office box, I would allegedly do that and i'd encourage my listeners to send me all sorts of cool shit like you found this rock in the woods and you think it's cool send it to me i'll talk about it (laughs) so all right so yeah check out casey tenants go to that uh or send Joe that website if you have any resources about child care in the kansas city area that from a leftist perspective you can find me uh red leg revolution on facebook and twitter no youtube red leg pod on twitter and you like subscribe all that good shit wherever you get your podcasts and if you want to kick me a dollar a month you can subscribe to our subscription only podcast episodes um i do one a month and you get early access to these episodes uh, a day early and also thanks to joe helping me do two episodes on this one i will probably yeah. next episode will be an exclusive so you know capitalism yay Jeez. help me keep the power yeah, on exactly. so that i can keep doing these <laughs> so all right and I got, a, I got i got one i got a prompt for you before we leave oh. it's jordan peterson's base okay um if you hear, it's like a who's line thing. I give you this scenario and you do it. Yeah, yeah, I feel like, you. I'm good at improv. So Jordan Peterson on Hot Ones and then he starts crying. I don't know what Hot Ones is. You know what Hot Ones is? No. It's when they eat the spicy oh, chicken. Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. I saw I saw that. Okay. I saw that meme. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm going, waiter, thank you for, for these hot wings. I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and start eating them. Um, just just in case this gets a little too hot for me, could you please bring me a glass, a big glass of milk? Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. Um, um. Um. Oh. Oh Jesus. That was that was hotter than I. Oh. Oh Christ. Oh, oh God. What is where, where is that waiter with my where is that waiter with my milk? <laughs> Oh my god, no, where is the waiter? No, how do you get the waiter? Please. Please Okay, that's that's as much as I got. Awesome. I love it. Thank you. That was great. Alright. Well, with that amazing Jordan Peterson eating hot wings impression, we are out of here. And our uh 
cussing, we're gonna go ahead and cuss Trotsky because he's been talking shit the entire time. Well, <laughs> right. so you get an ice pick, you know. Ice yeah. pick, ice pick, ice pick. I'll make an outro song for you, but it has to be about Trotsky getting domed. <laughs> ice pick <laughs> in the dome, Trotsky. Far yeah. from home, Mexico, yo. Yeah. <laughs> what happens when you fuck with Stalin, you know? <laughs> <laughs> See, like I said, I, I got a mind for whose lines I have stuff. Yeah.